You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Well, last week when I asked Jamie if she had a song, I didn't expect her to sing. Uh, I wasn't surprised that she had a song uh, that might have been on her heart. She sings all the time. Uh, but what I didn't expect was her to sing in that moment because we had been joking just before and even for the days up leading up to about me asking her to sing and the fact that she would not do that. And so when I said, I'm not going to ask you to sing right now, and then she said, I have a song. <laughs> uh, it was a surprise to me. And it was, what was funny is... If you go back and you look at that video, or maybe you already noticed it, about three quarters of the way during our conversation, she had grabbed her phone and she wrote some things down, which I thought would have been a text message to one of our kids or whatnot. And I would later find out that as she was saying things, the Lord brought a song to her heart and she wrote down the title of it. Now, what was even more special about that moment is that what she sang came straight off of the pages of the sermon text that we're in today. I was surprised about that. It's almost as if Jamie knew that we'd be in Psalm 18 and you just have to believe me and trust me that that's not what uh, we had talked about beforehand. And so for her to grab her phone and to jot down that note and then to uh, burst out in praise there at the end of the moment, I think it was a supernatural thing I wrote down here. And I wanted us to see like there are simple things that are happening, but God's doing a new thing. He's doing special things and things like that. Like we need to come to expect him to show up even in our times, our gatherings and whatnot, you know, pre-recorded or not. God is really doing some stuff with us. And so when we turn to Psalm 18 and we turn to even we'll be in a little bit of Second uh, Samuel I want us to have the mind to be thinking that God is, is, is not far off and that he is, is meeting with us, that the spirit is going before us, that the Lord is, is doing things in our midst. And so even as we do that, as we turn to Psalm 18, I want to pause, right? I want to pray, asking for understanding and slow down for a moment as we expect God to do something. Let's pause and let's pray and ask for his blessing. Father, I just prayed and I pray again, asking for the spirit to go before us. Fill me now with your words, Lord. Fill me from uh, the meditation of my heart, which is uh, the words that are on your scripture, even as David said that he did not depart from your instruction. I pray, God, that I would have a, a clear mind to be able to uh, just say the things, the truths, the, uh, the, the beautiful uh, instruction that you've given to me, Lord, um, and that it would be a moment where, as a church, we are following you and, and really sensing your lead and you going before us. God, there's so much for us to be grateful for. We give you thanks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for salvation in him and him alone. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that's been given to us as a deposit and a security of our salvation, that we can have assurance even that when we pray prayers like this, they don't just go up to the ceiling and bounce back down, but that you hear us. Uh, I pray that in these moments, Lord, you would, 
as the psalmist has said in other places, you inhabit the praises of your people. I pray that we would really sense that you're, you're with us as we praise you and we rejoice in the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, Psalm 18 is an adaptation from 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22 and Psalm 18 in both places start this way. It tells us that David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord had delivered him from all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That's the superscription in Psalm 18 in your Bibles. And it also is there if you were to turn back to Psalm 22. It's almost word for word you find David's words. In fact, in Psalm 22, it's when he, right when he wrote it. And, and the only variances there are that he's just speaking personally and that uh, this uh, this writing to the choir master is, is one that has been adapted so that the whole of Israel and all of God's people and that all of the church would be able to sing this song in, uh, in chorus. The reality is, is that David sang these words as he had been delivered. But as we've been seeing time and time and time again, David didn't only sing when he was delivered. He sang in the midst of his trials and he sang uh, very, very consistently. David's life was chock full of drama, right? There's so much strife and there's so much struggle, so many consequences of sin and so many injustices that came across uh, and came his way that we know like it, it doesn't even make sense when we read that God was, uh, was using him that way. If we think with our natural minds, it just feels like there's just too much. And why can't he catch a break? A few weeks ago, we summarized 2 Samuel verses 15 to 16. When we went through Psalm chapter three and we saw David was fleeing Jerusalem after having an insurrection from his son, Absalom, who had basically turned all of the nation against him. And now as we come and we see Psalm 18, which is again, a reflection of second Samuel chapter 22, what we would have missed is that from 17 to 21 was this place of great redemption and great restoration. God met David and he used David and he worked mightily through circumstances that were still very unfortunate, but we see God redeeming all things. His son Absalom dies, right? And so David is no longer having his son avenge his blood, but David's not happy about that. In fact, uh, it's recorded that he says, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He came back to Jerusalem, not happy that his son had died, but he came back with a broken and a contrite heart. And when he comes back, he restores justice to the people. He restores the kingdom. He repairs what's broken in it. He releases people from judgment. He starts to redeem people and redeem things around him, even though uh, a lot of those people are expecting the death penalty. They're, they're, they're putting swords to themselves and, and just begging for David to just go ahead and get it over with. I know that I deserve death. And David doesn't repay evil for evil to anybody. David doesn't avenge his own throne. He doesn't fight back against the injustices that were committed against him by revolting and retaliating. Instead, David even repents of his own sin. 
David finds himself repenting of his own sin and with opportunities to go back and make good on the things that he had been engaged with in the past. You might remember that he had refused to go out to battle, which led him to being immoral and led him to murder. That's what happened with Bathsheba. And so now he comes back in 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3 says, When David returned to his place, he took ten concubines that he had left in the palace, and he took them into his place. And it says this in verse 3 and verse 4, He provided for them, but he had no sexual relations with them. 2 Samuel 21 and verse 15 says that once again there was a battle between Philistines and, and Israel. And it says David went down this time with the men to fight against the Philistines. He didn't just stay back. You see God redeeming things and restoring things. You see David repenting. You, th you see things changing this time when you come to verse, uh, chapter 17 and uh, to 19 or 20 of his life. And the Bible goes on to talk about all the, these reparations that he gives to Saul and his enemies and, and to his family and people who have uh, wronged him. It says he even dug up Saul's bones and gave them a proper burial. I mean, this is where we first get introduced to the song that David sang in Psalm 18, where he says that I will call on the Lord. I called on the Lord and he saved me. We find David in a place where he's been able to come back around and see God still using him. Just as you heard Jamie rejoicing in David's words last week. Maybe you didn't know that that was Psalm 18. Uh, but as, as you heard her singing that, what she was reciting is, I will call upon the Lord, right? And, and David says, he's worthy to be praised because he saved me. I want us to look at David's psalm, and, and, and it's already been read, right? It's a long psalm. you got 50 verses. We're not going to cover every one of them. We're not even going to read the whole thing right now. But I want us to kind of look at that, and I want you to go back and to read it after we get done. And throughout this next week, I want you to read David's psalm and, 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 uh, and, and really just let this wash over you from three perspectives. I want us to see this as a call for us to be a rejoicing and a singing and a praising people. The truth is, is that all of us should have it in our hearts that we want to be that kind of people, just as we saw that David is. And here are the three things that we should observe that a rejoicing people remember to run from pride. They remember to run to God with gratitude and prayer, and they rush to express that to him in praise. The truth of the matter is, is that these things are all over the Psalms. The, 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 the difference in the wording or whatnot probably sounds very similar to things that we've already talked about with other psalms. And, and, and that's just because God is trying to teach us something. There, it, he really wants to submit this in our minds. And so we don't really have to go through everything here. It kind of follows the same progression and transition. But what I'm struck by most today is that the psalmist was always rejoicing while he was under attack. After he, was, he had just cheated death. Or uh, in, in some sort of way, he was in another crisis. And it's like the old heads say, right? We're always, always going to have trouble and trials and tribulations in this life. You're either going into one, you're either in one right now, or you're just coming out of one. But trials and tribulations are a part of our life. And what we learn from David is that it didn't matter whether or not the circumstances around him changed, or even uh, if he was 
wrestling with his own sin and all of his despair and all of his disappointments, he called out to the Lord, he praised him and he rejoiced. And so let's look at the first point. The first point is that to be a rejoicing people, we must run from pride. When I look at David, the first thing he says in the beginning of this psalm, it's not, oh Lord, how long are you going to allow my enemies to take over me? He says, I love you. Oh Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. David wrote this psalm and he sang it to the Lord, right? In the day that he had been delivered. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was on the day, but in the time frame, and during the season is the way it should be read. During that season when he had been delivered from his enemies and from Saul's hands. Jamie and I like watching this, this a couple different kinds of movies like action, thriller uh, type. You know, two of our favorite are Ocean's Eleven and Born, the Born series, the Born Identity. And I think out of those two, the, the, the biggest favorite we have is really like Born Identity itself because in it, Matt Damon, and he's playing his character and it's like you just fall in love with him because he's an all-around good guy. He's not doing wrong. He's not wronging people. And he's just going through and trying to escape the hands of enemies and, 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 and uncover truth uh, throughout the entire film. And the thing about it is that it's just like everywhere he turns, somebody's after him. Everywhere he turns, he can't catch a break. It's constantly something that's coming against him. And it's like when you watch that, you can see it's just like he can never let his guard down. He can never uh, stop watching his own back, right? He's always watching his back. And this is how I picture David's life when he's exclaiming, I love you, Lord, because he's had that kind of an experience. David is, he is not catching breaks, right? It's like every day and every single night and at every point he has an enemy who is trying to take his life, trying to kill him. How, how would you, you know, if you think, you, you might think you're uh, having some stresses right now or you might think that you just can't take a break, uh, catch a break right now, but let me ask you a question like, what would it be like to have a very present enemy, to know for a fact that your enemy is out to kill you at every point, no matter if you're hiding, no matter if you're reigning, no matter if it's family, no matter if it's a foe, it's just a consistent, like I know for a fact that this could be my last day. That's David's plight. And the reality is what we observe in David's life should be obvious in ours. If we really understand our hearts, you may wonder why would God ever allow such calamity to come into a life of a person who's a, a good person like David. David was a good boy. He obeyed, he obeyed his father. He took care of his father's sheep, right? He didn't get into trouble with his older siblings when they got into trouble. He, he had more faith in God as a teenager than all the men in Saul's army. And so he went up against Goliath, Goliath with no armor in it. And the Bible says he killed Goliath with a slingshot and a stone as a teenager, as a boy as a young man against a big giant. But while all that's true, David wasn't sinless. When we read, maybe you get some confused sometimes about David being a man after God's own heart. What we should actually read is that he was a man after God's own choosing. I like to say it like this, that David wasn't sinless, right? But in God's eyes, he was perfect. I say that about my wife all the time. She ain't sinless, but she's perfect. And what that means is that this is the person who has been chosen 
for the task. David was chosen by God to be the one whose throne would be everlasting and whose kingdom would extend all the way into the Messiah. And so God used trials and tribulations to chisel out of David the things that were not like him. He's going to use trials and tribulations in our hearts. God uses trouble and struggle and strife to make us like him. If he chooses us, he makes us the people of his choice. God chose David by his own authority, but he shaped him through adversity. And that's where we find David when he's writing these psalms and he's able to sing and exclaim, knowing that God is Gone, has gone before him. God is good to him. God has delivered him. But at the end of the day, he just knows like, man, he had to do that because even though I may have had some things in my life that were good, I've had a whole heck of a lot of trouble that my own heart has gotten me into. David's main issue, like yours and mine, is pride. David's main issue, like just like yours and mine, is pride. Let me read to you from James chapter 4. Verses six and seven, it says, therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Peter picked up on the same uh, Old Testament scripture and he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And even goes so far, and we've read this in recent months, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you. They're picking up on the Proverbs. Proverbs 3 says that to the humble God gives favor. There's this idea that God wants to do a lot in our lives and a lot through our lives, but he has to eradicate that which wars against us. Your ever-present enemy is not this calamity outside, outside. It's not the consequences of somebody else's sin. It's not even the injustices that may come against you. It's not the brokenness in the world that is around you. It's the brokenness of our own hearts. It's the fact that we have pride resident in us, right? It's, it's the fact that our hearts just are bent towards self-loathing and self-serving and selfish ambition. I mean, everything is about self. We're constantly thinking about how to serve ourselves. And so if we're not not careful, we'll look back to God and say, man, it's unfair that these things will be coming against me. We won't complain to God about our circumstances. We'll complain about God for our circumstances, which is not a lament. That's the opposite, right? If you think that trials in the life of a believer are somehow unfair, or if you think that the Christian life is not, is not fitting to be one that is characterized by struggle and strife, then you don't understand your own heart. And we don't understand God's heart for us because he loves us, but he disciplines us. Hebrews 12 says he disciplines us so that we can share in his holiness. And so God actually knows that our hearts are full of pride. God knows that we are those who would cling to our own self-salvation. He knows that we would be self-reliant. He knows that we must come to the end of ourselves before we can be saved. And David knew that. I brought up those scriptures before I would read to you from Psalm 18, verse 27, which said, you save a humble people. In Psalm 22, he, he said, you save me, but not until I'm humble essentially, right? You save a humble people, but the haughty you bring down. 
God's, God's attitude towards us is love and it's salvation and it's deliverance and it's deliverance from all of our enemies. Last week we said that death is our final enemy. We remember that death was ushered in because of sin and that's the sin that Adam committed and, and Eve and, and their children after them and our own personal sin as well. And so God is delivering us through, from that progressively, which means that he is working on us and he wants to get the pride out. He wants to get the self-reliance out and the self-justification out and he does that by bringing us to the end of ourselves. It's as if the principal instructor that stands at the, the head of the classroom of our lives is, is our hearts. And that's, that's, the, that's the command central. And there all we get is uh, self, self-justification, self-ambition, uh, selfishness, and it's just pride, pride, pride. It doesn't matter if you have high self-esteem or if you have low self-esteem. It doesn't matter if you think that you are more than capable to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or if you're the kind of person that is just constantly loathing, just like Moses saying, I'm a man of a with a speech impediment. I stutter, God. You can't use me. There's no way that you could put me out there. I would never do this or that for you because I just can't. It doesn't matter. That's all from a place of pride and God takes that out of us and he does that through adversity oftentimes because it does it through trials and if we're going to be the kind of people who sing songs and, and 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 rejoice in the midst of them we'll be the people who run really fast toward that we'll be the first people to say i absolutely need god to take this out of me i need god to change my heart i need god's transformation i need the pride that is in me to be gone. And so rather than letting us, letting ourselves uh, go to a place where we just uh, reject or, or we don't accept with, with the kind of minds and hearts that say a trial and trouble might come my way, we enroll in what Gene Edwards would call the, the school of brokenness. You know, last year, the elders, we read this book, and the book is called The Tale of Three Kings, and it really talks about the life of David and the life of Saul, and, and, and it goes on to talk about Christ, and it's like, you know, God would make you a certain person, uh, a person after his own choosing, by using, this breaking you and, 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 and bringing you to the end of yourself and 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 using trials and those things to to put you in a place to where uh, he can actually use you and and as I read through that with with Carlos and Sean and Dan and we walked through that and we really talked about that it was one of those moments where it just it just it just reminded me of my own story I remember when I first made a profession of faith and I was in the middle and the height of my profession and I was making money hand over fist, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I remember one day standing at the bottom of the Cajon Pass in the Inland Empire. My truck was back here on 20 inch rims. I'm standing there with a $500 uh, London fog coat on and a $200 Zania tie and all kinds of designer clothes and everything. And I didn't have the gas to put in my car to drive through the Cajon Pass and get home in the high desert. And I was asking people for money and I was getting rejected over and over again and and I'll never forget that my mother-in-law helped me to see hey that's the breaking of man God has to break you and she said it with a smile on her face 
That's a hard saying for a person who might be running, uh, you know, a a, a sales floor, uh, who might be making a lot of money, who might feel like, no, I got it together and I can I can hold things together. That's a hard saying. But the truth of the matter is, is that if God wants to make you into an instrument to be used in his hands, he will break you. And I don't even claim to be fully broken at all. I realize that every one of the things that have even been coming uh, our way this year and, and up to this month is still those things that God is doing to help mold and to shape me and to be in like Christ. That is the prayer, Romans chapter eight, right? That all things would work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his uh, purpose, that he has predestined us to be conformed into the image of Christ. When we ask God, make me like Jesus, what I'm saying is God, take away the things that are not like him. And God will go to every extent because he loves us to discipline us and to make us like him so that we would share in his holiness. And he does not allow us to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. Another one of the books that I revisited, I got both of these books sitting right here. If you want to grab this book, The Tale of Three Kings, another book, The Normal Christian Life. I've been reading that. It's by Watchman Nee in China from the 50s. It's an old book. Got it from, uh, I don't even know where. I I, might have got it from my mother-in-law. She loved uh, Watchman Nee, and she would always talk about him. And so The Normal Christian Life, he just talks about the fact that trials and suffering, those things are just a part of the normal Christian life. He tells a story about being in China. And about the fact that there was, you know, places where you'd have to come and most young men would come and get 120 kilos worth of rice, have to pick it up and take it back to their place. And oftentimes it would be those young men that would come and they'd see the 250 kilo sack of rice and they would, they would want to grab it for themselves. And they would just come by the dozens and be trying and trying and trying, knowing half the time that they can only carry 120. They would always try to pick up 250 to try to impress other people and try to do things on their own. He said that young men would always come and try and pick it up. And time after time, they would have to get up and give up and send for an older and a stronger man to come and carry it. This is the quote that he said in the book. He says, not until the young men come to the end of themselves and say, I'll not do it. I need you to do it for me. It's not until then that they see a power stronger than theirs is necessary. We need a power stronger than ours. This is not a place of saying David had to get his own life straight. This is a place of saying God was working powerfully through his life, even through adversity to make him like him. That's the man. That's the woman that God wants you and I to be. And we have to realize that if we don't accept the problems that come our way, then the pride that resides in us it won't move and God won't move either. We want God to do miraculous things. We want him to show up in our lives. We want him to, uh, to we want to expect God to do great things. It's going to be because we allow him to, allow him to chisel us, allow him to save us, right? But we must come to the end of ourselves and we must call out to him. Then when he saves us, then we will rejoice. And and, and when he saves us, right, that's a place of I need rescue. When, When God does that, then he will get glory for it and I won't get glory for it. And no matter what the circumstances are, I find myself singing and making a joyful noise and rejoicing aloud because he is good. That's the first lesson from Psalm 18, that just overall what you find is that David is not 
writing this from a place of self-sustaining like pride. He's saying, you save me as a humble people, right? You reward me. Uh, you, you know, you're merciful. He says, I love you. You're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my deliverer. He's, he's going and he's saying, I'm not the one who has saved myself. God, you did this. You get all the glory and all the credit. Well, the second thing is that to be a rejoicing people, not only do we run from pride, but those who rejoice run to God with gratitude and prayer. The Psalms are, are really just a collection of, of songs, yes, but mostly prayer. You see mo multiple times in verse number three, I call upon the Lord, right? Uh, and he saved me. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. He says, I cried to him. And, and it's just over and over and over. He's just going and he's saying, I called him. I cried out to him. I called upon him. I sought him. I didn't forget him. That, that's an attitude of prayer. Prayer is a, a declaration of, pen, uh, uh, of dependence, right? I remember uh, having uh, this, this, this moment of like a day of prayer and just something stuck with me. The speaker said that prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. That when we don't pray, what we're saying is that I got this and that still feeds our pride. Right. But on the contrary, when we're those kind of people who go and, and who uh, who run toward God and who who are those who are characterized by rejoicing, then what we are is we're constantly found being grateful in prayer. And so no matter what's going on, we can still sing to him. We can still rejoice and we can still uh, love him and we can readily accept whatever the chastening is happening, whatever the chasing, right? Whatever our enemies coming against us. It's not that we're just going out like masochists and we want to see ourselves constantly in, in, in some kind of trouble, but we're not running away from it and cowering back as those who would be fearful by faith, we're saying that, you know what? Just like when Shimei was coming against David and throwing rocks at him and calling him everything but a child of God. And his right hand man said, I'm going to go up there and this dead dog, I'm going to cut his head off. He said, no, you cannot do that because God might be using this for my good. And he didn't allow him to retaliate. David's heart would then go from there and write that psalm that we went through in Psalm chapter 3. He went and he, he wrote a song and he prayed to God and he asked him to deliver him. Now he's writing a song and he's praising him still in prayer, thanking him because I called out to you in prayer and you saved me. I, I mean, I, I just, Carlos will tell you, I just took a whole bunch of these notes out just saying like, you know what? I think we have emphasize this enough. We have talked about prayer and why we need to be praying and how this is where God is calling us. Even as we walked the avenue last week and, and just had a moment to be out there, you know, 20 or so of us had children with us and we're walking through the neighborhoods and we're meeting people and talking to some and not talking to others. And we're praying for homes and praying for businesses and praying for apartment complexes and praying for the senior citizen center. And we're just praying and walking. It's just one of those moments, the firemen drive by, you know, we prayed for the fire department a couple minutes of later firemen drive by and we're praying for them and we're praying for the the city government we're praying for the park i mean that we want to bathe everything we do in prayer and we want to do that with grateful hearts knowing that you know what god is doing something it's not us god's name is the one who's to be famous it's not our church it's not any of ours and so i just i just want us to really get this that god wants to work in and through us and 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 you will know that it's happening in your own life because you start rejoicing from a place of 
I am so thankful for the gospel. I am so thankful for God himself, for Jesus, for the spirit of God, for the people of God, for the word of God. I'm so thankful for it that I just pray and praise him all the time. Points two and three are really connected, right? You run to God with gratitude and prayer and and, and you rush to express your gratitude to him in praise. David writing here is 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 saying some some beautiful things. He ends by saying, for this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. He, he talks, I mean, he talks about that prophetic witness of the Messiah is going to come and the kingdom of David is not my kingdom, it's yours. It's the salvation didn't come. You didn't just save me, but you saved everybody, right? And you saved the nations. You saved people from among the whole world, right? He, he even said that just a, a, a little bit. Uh, above it. In verse number 44, he talks about those who would be uh, in the head of nations and other places, and he calls them foreigners and people from other places. He said, they, they lost heart and they came cringing to me. When you cringe, you just bow over and you bow to something, right? So he's saying that, that all of a sudden, the nations who used to be the enemy, they, they've even turned to bow towards your throne. He praises God for that. He's thankful to God for that. We ought to be thankful to God to that. We're a part of that. And so he says, the Lord lives. And he says, blessed be my rock. And he says, he's exalted as the God of my salvation. I mean, David just expresses so much gratitude, right? And he does that by writing this psalm and writing, writing other psalms. And, and I want you to know something. You might not be the singer type. You might not be the one who I can just turn to and say, do you have a song? You might not be the kind of person that writes down songs. But I know for a fact that you can Believe the gospel and be grateful for it and allow that to make a melody and a joyful noise and a rejoicing and some praise from your heart. Oftentimes, if there is a deficiency in our ability to praise, there's a disconnect in our belief of the gospel. Truth of the matter is, is that if you really love something, you don't have a problem being emotional and getting excited about it. If you disagree with me, I'll show up at the, at the playoff game. I show up with you at your kids' game, at your kids' performance. I show up with you in the times that you're doing your, your, your most favorite, your beloved activity, right? Outdoors or indoors, whatever it is. The truth of the matter is, is that when you love something or you love someone, just like you can exclaim praise and gratitude and be thankful for your spouse, be thankful for your children, be thankful for a job, be thankful for an activity, thankful for a sport or a sports team, you can rejoice that way but sometimes it's because our love has grown cold. The pride and the idols that are in our hearts have just led us to a place where we, we go after others or go after other things. I don't want you to miss the intensity. I don't want you to miss the intensity of Psalm chapter 18. First thing he says is, I love you, O Lord. I love the Lord. You ever make that person? I hope that maybe I'm speaking to you, right? Maybe you are that person. It's just people asking you, how you doing? You're like, man, I love Jesus so much. I love God so much. God is so good. Sometimes you meet those people and you're just like, man, is this person for real or not? But then when you see their lives and you get to watch them and you hear them talk about the experiences that they've had and you know it's not always roses, it's not all peaches and cream, then you realize like, man, that person really does depend on the Lord. That person really does love him. That's what we see and we find from David. He says, you're my strength, right? 
he ends on a on a crescendo of praise in, in verse number uh, 46 the lord lives blessed be my rock he's exalted right exalted be the god of my salvation the god who gave me vengeance the god who subdued peoples around me and before me praise is so full of emotion david is so full of emotion and 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 the thing is is that this happens because he's come to the end of himself. He's come to the place where he's seen that if God don't save me, right? Just like last week, if you don't save me, I'm going to die. I'm better off dead. In fact, my enemies are mocking me. He comes to those places and he sees that time and time and time and time again, God delivers him and God is with him. If you don't feel this kind of love for the Lord and what he's done for you, then allow me to be honest with you and say that something is off in your spiritual life. And God is using these times, this pause, this, this time of shelter in place, this time of having an opportunity to reflect and have a lot of the things that are usually coming at you so fast stilled. He's using this time to call you and I to a place to say that he is the greatest treasure. The gospel is our greatest good. God himself is the good news that we get reconciliation with him through Jesus Christ voluntarily laying his life down and being raised from the dead for our justification. And you must, must, must hear him. Take time and listen for him. He's calling us to that and he's showing these things and he wants to expose to us the places where even during the, the, the crisis moment, even during the, the place where we're enduring, enduring struggle, he's revealing himself to us and his love. And when we find that we're not, we're emotionless or we don't have our emotions uh, being involved or something. We feel like he's distant. Oftentimes in those moments, he may have even drawn back so that he can draw us in. I look at Jamie testifying last week and I think about the things that she said. I know that some of us may sit and we just like, oh man, like, wow, I, that was so amazing or whatnot. I definitely, I felt that way. That's why I decided like, I'm not going to preach. I want you to testify about this. You live that. And I've even seen that even here recently. But the thing is, is that if we just compare ourselves to others, we'll lose the point. The point is this is the life of a person who is a maturing disciple of Christ, who is going through a life in a fallen world. And so God wants us to, to kind of stoke that and to, to fan that into flame. When you read through Psalm 18 and you walk through this, again, I decided even in, 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 sec, in a, the point, second point to just leave some of that for you to go and study and to read on your own and to read 2 Samuel, even read it from, just start at chapter 15 and go through. I mean, that'll be kind of toward the end of, uh, the life of David that is recorded. But I mean, here's what, here's the deal. When you look at that, I want you to see it from a place of saying, okay, this is how God oftentimes works in the life of his servants. As I land a plane, here's a, a couple practical things that can help us to grow toward being those who rejoice in times of struggle and those who uh, are, are, are characterized by rejoicing, by praising, by even making a joyful noise or singing. Uh, you read the read the word of God, read it regularly, read it every day. Don't don't put it away. David says things about it. He says, you light my lamp. Right. Or uh, before that, he, he says that that God he didn't depart from God's rules. 
Verse 22, all his rules were before me and his statutes. I didn't put them away from me. David's talking about depending on God by going to his word. So you imagine him in a cave. You imagine him with enemies coming after him. You imagine him in the middle of war. You imagine him rising early in the day, as he said in Psalm 19, and going down late in the, in the evening, reading God's word, meditating on God's word, loving it, desiring it like more than, than a person would desire honey, which is sweet to the taste. I mean, he reads the word. Let's read the word. Let's read the word every day. Let's meditate on the scriptures. Let's allow ourselves to even come to a a place where we can find that theology that is true, right? That understanding of who God is, that's a true and a biblical one because we get into the Bible itself. Let's be those people. At the same time, learn some songs and, and learn some good Bible rich songs. I, I don't believe that you will always know uh, or I don't believe that you'll come to be able to know God well by singing songs that are kind of uh, shallow, that, 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 that don't give you the depths of understanding, right? We talked about Martin Luther singing a mighty, or writing and singing, a mighty fortress is our God. That song has been translated into 200 languages. It has been sang for 500 years because it's so rich and it came out of Psalm 46. Let's, let's, let's sing like Jamie died last week, sing Psalm 18. I will bless the Lord, right? I'll call upon the Lord and he's, he's worthy to be praised. I mean, he, let's just sing the, the Psalms themselves. Let's sing songs that have depth to them, that, that are informed by that true and that deeper theology, right? Let's, let's do that. If, we, if you do that, we'll be like Hudson Taylor. It says that he was sustained in his grief after he buried his, his wife, Maria. And he did that. He was, he was sustained because he sang his favorite hymn over and over and over. Jesus, I'm resting, resting in the joy of who you are. I'm finding out the greatness of your loving heart. Let's be like that. Let's also turn off distractions. Let's be those who, if you're watching this, maybe even on Facebook, it's so easy to just allow it to come before you for three seconds, show that, hey, this person has joined, this person has arrived or whatnot, but then to go and to look at other things or to shrink it down into a smaller box and to do other things or to come into a sanctuary sometimes. You might even sit with other believers and it's like, you know, you're kind of, you, you're reading your Bible on your phone and, and you also get a text message. You also get an update about what the sports are happening at that time. It's so easy to do that. And so we don't give ourselves the practice practical opportunity to fall in love with God, to have our hearts enlarged for him, to rejoice over him because we're more concerned about the Steelers score. Speaking about speaking, preaching to myself, <laughs> we're more concerned about how the Lakers are doing. We're more concerned about the baseball game. We're more concerned about the news. We're more concerned about our timeline. We're more concerned about how many people are liking the picture. Let's turn some of that off and turn our affections towards God. Let's give our heart's desire toward him so that when we look at this, it's not so foreign to us. It's like, yes, yes, I delight in the word of God and everything else. I just want to tune it out. I mean, even if you're sitting in your home, you're watching on your phone, you're watching on a tablet, you're watching on a, a little larger of a screen, a computer or whatnot. Like, try to stay focused on it. Model that for your children. My children will tell you oftentimes, they're looking at me and they're trying to figure out, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff trying to get in my eyes. And, and, and even though I'm distracted as all get out, I'm constantly trying to keep my face straight so that I can model for them. This is a time where we're devoted to the things of the Lord. Let's give him our attention like we would give something else our attention. And the truth of the matter is, is that, again, an hour is, is what? three, four percent, five percent of your day. Like when you go and do something else, you, you, you can do that at another time. This is a moment for us to just, just give God our focus. 
and flee distractions. Well, some of us right now are feeling that we're in the midst of difficult times. We're in the midst of a trouble. We're in, uh, in the midst of trial. Some of us feel like, oh, this is not that bad. We're kind of going on uh, with business as usual. But for both of us, I know that God wants us to run away from our pride. I know he wants us to to run to him in prayer. And I know he, he wants us to rush to do that like David did. I mean, literally, this is in the season, in the day. He he went and he praised God like right then and there. He didn't wait for a, a better time. It was it was it was right then and there. So I know that God wants us to do that. And I know that he wants us to be and that we are a people after his own heart. That if he he chooses us, that's because he loves us. And if he loves us, then he disciplines us and he makes us like him. So I know that for a fact that if you do those things and you're well on your way to being a person like David who rejoices and who uh, can do that in times of struggle. And so there's a good news and a bad news to that. The good news is that the Psalms themselves give us a whole bunch of real life examples of how to rejoice in times of struggle. The bad news is you got to struggle in real life in order to rejoice. That in order to be this kind of person and to have this become practical for you, you got to go through some stuff. And that's bad news to the unsuspecting heart, the person who made signed up, like I said even last week, testifying to our early walk with the Lord, that we're believing a functional prosperity gospel, that things are just going to go super well. It's always going to be that God just gives to us and God blesses us. And his his answer is yes, that if I name it, I can claim it. If I blab it and grab it. And, And I think that there's a place for trusting him. And there's even a place for depending on him like a child to just ask for what they want. But I also know for a fact that we have got to be the kinds of people who recognize that God is even going to use adversity in our lives in order to bring us to a place. In this psalm, we read that with the merciful, God shows himself merciful. You don't get mercy unless you're undeserving. You don't don't find salvation unless you've been lost. You're not rescued unless you've been lost, right? Healing is for those who have been hurt and who are hurt. Brokenness is what God is eradicating us, us from. And so when we think about what God is doing is he's redeeming and he's restoring us, but it, it, we have to come to the place where we recognize that we have that need and we have that need in us. So my prayer, if you would join me even right now, <clears throat> God is that you would just use whatever you have to use in our lives to make us like Jesus Christ and to create in us a heart that would rejoice at the gospel, rejoice with you, and that would lay hold of the the opportunity we have to pray to you and to come before you and to sing to you and to praise you. Make us grateful people, Lord. Make us hate our sin, hate the things that you hate, and make us love the things that you love. And do that, God, at your own, uh, with your own wisdom. Lord, I mean, we don't we don't we don't want to just have all kinds of calamity. It hurts at times to to be disappointed and to be uh, feeling as, as though we're alone and to have all kinds of trouble and trial that comes. But the truth is, Lord, is if that is what you've got to do in order to work in us and on us and through us, then come what may. We're like Job who just says we praise you anyhow. And so, Lord, my prayer for all of us. 
especially at Arise Church, the, the elders, the pastors, those who are deacons, those who are servants in our church, those who are partners in our church, those who are just coming to our church, those who might be visiting online and just heard this for the first time. Lord, I pray that we would be characterized by those who allow you to work in our lives and we welcome it because you're making us like Christ and you're doing it for our good. May your glory stretch to the nations. May you be praised, O Lord, among the nations, and may we sing to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.